The program was birthed around the time, maybe just a, a year or so before, but around the time that Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, came out. And in some ways, that that was the apex of the new atheism, I would say. Him and people like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris were all publishing these very strongly anti-religion, anti-Christian books. To some extent, that shaped the program from then on uh, because because that was what was happening in the cultural sphere a lot of the shows and the questions we were responding to were the kinds of issues that, that the new atheists were bringing up and that still happens to an extent today um, because you know there's still a strong atheist contingent especially online nevertheless i would say having got started in those kinds of issues the conversation has moved on somewhat in the last 10 years. The, the most recent phenomenon really um, has been the Jordan Peterson one. For those who aren't familiar with him, um, uh, sort of professor of psychology from Canada who kind of became this cult phenomenon uh, through his lectures on the Bible and meaning and then had this massively successful book, 12 Rules for Life. And um, not a professing Christian, but someone who uh, as a sort of secular person has been raising big questions around meaning, purpose, identity, what we do in the absence of religion. And and to see him packing out, you know, major venues with, you know, young people who seem to be looking for answers in a world that's often very confusing shows that there's a huge appetite actually for these kinds of conversations and not simply for the kind of answers that Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens have given. My guest today is Justin Brierley. Justin is the host of Unbelievable, a program that's been running for over 10 years, airing on Premier Christian Radio in the UK, as well as via podcast and YouTube, where Justin sits down with skeptics, atheists, and Christian theologians and philosophers to discuss the deep questions of life and meaning and purpose, God and existence. It's a wonderful program. I've enjoyed it and digested many episodes over the years. It's been an influence on my own theological and philosophical formation. So it was a great joy to get the opportunity to have this conversation with Justin. Last year, Justin also put out a book entitled Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Justin Brierley. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining me today. As I've told you before, I have been a longtime fan of the work that you've done. In fact, uh, some of us that perhaps have a um, uh, feel a special connection to the sort of work you do perhaps feel a bit like outsiders in other realms. Um, my degree, I, I've tried to explain it to people. Uh, I, have a, I have a master's in, in Christian thought, which I... I usually end up explaining to people is just simply philosophical theology. Mm. And to be able to pinpoint that specific desire, uh, certainly a significant part of that was uh, listening to the sorts of conversations you've been hosting for years on Unbelievable, which has uh, been airing on Premier Christian Radio in the UK for years, as well as via YouTube and podcasts. So thank you, first of all, thank you for your work. It's been an oh, influence in my you. own life. That, that's really humbling to hear. And uh, every time I hear anyone say that Unbelievable has had some sort of significant impact or just percolated in some way into what they've ended up doing, it's 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 an, an immense privilege to know that um, because you, you never know who's listening, uh, how it might impact their life. And um, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear it's it sparked some, you know, some interesting things in yours. 
Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. You know, I'd love to, for those that maybe have just, they just listened to my podcast and maybe they're not familiar with the work that you've been doing. Could you tell us a bit about the show? Um, maybe even just maybe explain for those that haven't listened in or watched before, what's what's the purpose of this program? And, and, and maybe tell us about the format, how long you've been doing it. Mm. Well, uh, unbelievable. Uh, and by the way, it's got a question mark on the end. So yes. it's kind of it's, I should, I, I always feel I should say unbelievable. Like uh, I'm asking <laughs> I'm <question>. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it started, yeah, believe it or not, back at the back end of 2005. So we've been going for over 14 years now on this show. Uh, just initially as a radio show on Premier Christian Radio. It's one of the few Christian radio stations in the UK. But really, the format of the show was designed to be not your typical Christian radio show format because I wanted to bring non-Christians on board. I wanted to have atheists, agnostics, people of other faiths sit down and tell us about what they believe and why and maybe what their objections are to Christianity. And to do that with a Christian present, and I and I moderate those discussions. And it's really stayed in that format for the past 14 years. It's very simple in many ways, but it's a, it's a long-form conversation on some aspect of faith and belief. But yeah, it's aiming to, to provide this space where people can have these honest, frank conversations. And I found there's been a real desire for that, um, not just among the radio audience, because, um, well, I should say, actually, initially, not everyone was, was sold on the idea. You can imagine some of the emails <laughs> we got early on saying, well, haven't we got enough atheists on the BBC? Do we really need them <laughs> on our Christian radio station? But but for those who who understood it, who got it, they loved it. And, um, and I think it, it reflects the fact that you know, most Christians, especially here in the UK, don't live in a Christian bubble. They're, they're rubbing shoulders all the time with non-Christian friends and family and neighbors. And so modeling conversations that hopefully might give them an idea of what they could say and how they could approach issues, I think a lot of people have found helpful. And then, and then of course, we started picking up an audience all over the world once we started podcasting a couple of years into the show. And, and we were kind of early adopters, I would say. Probably about 2007, we started podcasting the show. And so it, it grew organically. And what I noticed was that it wasn't just Christians downloading the podcast, but a lot of atheists, agnostics, people of other faiths. Because every time I had maybe a significant atheist voice on the show, they might then share it on their blog. And suddenly we'd pick up a whole new bunch of people who, who wanted to hear these conversations. So, so it's been a really interesting journey. And, um, and as I say, the format really hasn't changed all that much in all those years. But it certainly shaped me as an individual. Um, it's it led me eventually to write a book um, reflecting on the lessons I've learned from the show, um, and we do now an annual conference where we we kind of have speakers from all over the world join us, and we're increasingly doing things across the pond as well in North America. Uh, so so yeah, it's been an exciting ride so far. So did you just you know walk you know walk into the radio station and say hey i've got an idea for a radio program were you already in radio did you have some sort of background already in in, in theology or, or or philosophy how did you get into this uh unique it, it really is one of the it's the most you I, I there's not another program quite like it out there um so I'm quite curious as yeah. to what your background was that that led you up to that point. Well, I mean, starting right from the beginning, I, I did grow up in a Christian family, so so Christianity was sort of part of what I experienced growing up. I, obviously, that became my own at a certain point in my late teens, where I made my own commitment. But I, I quickly ran into 
the typical kinds of objections and questions you do when I got to university, especially. Um, and that was a place where I think I started to develop an interest in what you might call apologetics. I was started to re read C.S. Lewis and people like that. I didn't call it by that name at the time, but but I think that was when I started to, to kind of, I think, uh, investigate the rational basis for Christianity. And um, I was also interested in uh, theatre, drama. I did sort of quite a lot of that kind of stuff in my spare time while I was at university. I was studying a degree that included philosophy, so politics, philosophy and economics. And um, the philosophy side of things really appealed to me as well. And so perhaps it was natural when I did start a career in radio um, that I would start to gravitate towards those kind of big issues and but doing it in a way that hopefully was accessible, communicating sort of, um, you know, in a creative way and so on. Um, I mean, I, I literally actually, funnily enough, the, my start at Premier Christian Radio, where I've essentially been all of my adult working life, um, it began back in 2002 uh, while I was on a gap year, having got married, um, we'd gone away to Africa to work for a mission organization. And um, I knew that I wanted to do something when I got back and began, you know, real life uh, to do with broadcasting or journalism, didn't know quite what. And uh, it happened that the the, the the boss of the charity we'd gone out with um, came to visit me, my wife and I and said, I've just been on this uh, station called Premier Christian Radio in the UK. Maybe you could um, see if they see if they'll have you when you get back from your mission trip, Justin. Uh, which I did. I, I had a you know email conversation from uh, Namibia of all places with with this studio in London. And and once I did come back, um, that's turned into some work experience, which turned into getting trained up in radio. And three years in, after having you know been doing live radio and other stuff. That's when I suggested uh, I'd like to start my own show, and and that was when Unbelievable was born. Well, those are sorts of um, maybe career experiences or the the opportunities or the the things that you had pursued that opened up that that door to do what you're doing vocationally and professionally as part of your calling in the world. But it's clear when I um, and I I mentioned this uh, in our prior conversation before we hit record. I I'd first come across your work. Uh, and I think you'll you'll be able to pinpoint the exact date um, on a very what if in my recollection was very early on in the days of YouTube. Um, it was fresh after Rob Bell had put out a book called Love Wins, and you know there was a a lot of videos making their ways around the early days of uh, social media. Um, these interviews with Rob Bell, obviously that was a, a firestorm in evangelical mm -hmm. circles, especially here in the U.S. I'm sure it was in the U.K. as well. And one of the things that struck me about uh, your approach, and you've continued this through the years, is you, you really have a, a wonderful way of acting as a neutral moderator for debates, and you're, you're very courteous as an interviewer, and yet... It's very clear to me, and I'm sure others that uh, maybe have a bit of experience in the academic side of theology, it's really clear that you, you yourself possess a deep well of philosophical and theological insights that, that you really, you humbly keep those under reins to let your guest voices be heard, which I, I really appreciate that about your demeanor. I'm curious on maybe on the both the spiritual formation side, you know, because it takes a a degree of humility, I imagine, to be sitting there and maybe, uh, you know, listening to a Daniel Dennett and maybe your, your blood might be starting to curl within you to, <laughs> to, to hold fast and go, I'm going to let this person's voice 
be heard. I'm not going to interrupt them. I'm going to practice self-control and humility. So that's certainly a, you know, a spiritual formation that's been developed. It's obvious to me in your life, but also this sort of theological and philosophical development. I know you mentioned you studied at university. I'm curious what have been maybe the most formative experiences or some of the other, you mentioned C.S. Lewis already, but mm-hmm. who's been some other uh, formative influences in your life that set you on this unique trajectory? Yeah, that, I mean, I'd say that I, I I never had any formal theological training. So as I say, my degree included philosophy, but it wasn't a theology degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think almost uh, in a kind of by proxy way, uh, just doing the show, you know, from 2005 onwards was a sudden, uh, you know, opened up the whole world of all the different theological perspectives that exist out there. And I, and I quickly began to find my way around them. Now, I, I still don't think of myself as a master of any of them, you know, but um, I, I'm something of a jack of all trades. Uh, but I, I got enough of a handle, I think, on, on enough aspects of things to start to put the pieces together for myself. And and because I get to do that week in week out, it's it's sort of I think keeps me aware of what's going on and the developments and that kind of thing. Um, and and I hope it does for regular listeners as well. You know, I always aim for unbelievable to be kind of tackling you know the big theological issues uh, and especially any you know significant things that come up in the the world. Such you know in that world. So the Rob Bell example mm-hmm. you mentioned was a good one, which raised the whole question back in 2011 with his book Love Wins of um, salvation, hell, um, universalism, and so on, and and so yeah, I, I I would say without having any formal training in those things, I I simply learned along the way um, and started to find my own way and and how I would uh, think about those things, reconcile certain issues. There were certain points of doctrine that I probably have changed my mind on because of the influence of people I've spoken to and interacted with over the years. Um, but you're right. It, it, it's it's not just a theological or academic process. Um, to I think to moderate a show like this, you do have to have a certain amount of willingness to simply let people have their say. And and the temptation always is for anybody if they hear something they disagree with to jump in and try and correct or you know uh, or refute something. Um, what I think I've learned is that. Um, that, that's not firstly helpful for conversation. People need to be able to express their thoughts and, and to be heard in order for a conversation to happen. I think the problem with some forms of apologetics is it's not really actually open to hearing different perspectives. And, and I think you, you just don't build any trust or meaningful communication if it's really just a one-way form of dialogue. Um, so I, I'm really keen on making sure that you do hear. And that can be uncomfortable and you just have to get used to that. Okay, But actually... In my experience, it's not a bad thing to be made uncomfortable sometimes. I've been certainly uncomfortable with lots of things I've looked at, read about, you know, found out about. Um, But the point is that I think over time, as you start to put the pieces together and hear some of the best arguments from other points of view, and perhaps, you know, your own views mold and shift in the process, you come to a point, well, this is my experience at least, you come to a point of being confident enough in what you do believe to be gracious enough to allow different perspectives to have their say around that and and not to feel like you have to constantly correct other people. Um, uh, it, in a way, it is, it is about developing trust, not just in your own worldview and belief systems, but that, that God, God can stand up for himself as well and that you right. don't need to be his bulldog 
um, necessarily. Uh, and that actually sometimes there's a value in hearing what other people have to say and letting them say it before you engage and interact. So for me, um, uh, I mean, I, same question often gets asked by other people as well. How do you keep your cool when someone's, you know, making some terrible accusations against God or the Bible or whatever? And for me, I, I guess the other aspect of it is just I'm, I'm a fairly sanguine kind of person. I don't tend to get easily riled up. Um, uh, so maybe that makes me good in this kind of moderating kind of role that I, I don't take things personally. And I, I'm happy to sort of just hear what people have to say without getting feeling personally uh, violated by, by, by that. Uh, but I think that in general, that's a good thing for Christians to learn because so often what you do end up seeing, especially in the, in the online social media stuff, is knee-jerk reactions of um, because people get offended, basically. And I think we need to stop getting offended and <laughs> listen and, and, and then respond from a place of grace and love and, and knowledge. And, uh, and that's what I, I hope happens on the show, ideally, from week to week. I imagine it'd be counterproductive to you inviting guests on, too, as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that you do this for... Um... You know, just pragmatic purposes, but I imagine it would be counterproductive for your goal of facilitating conversations with people if those who felt, well, if I'm going to come on unbelievable question mark with, with Justin Briarly, I'm going to be um, interrupted anytime I express something different than uh, what's outside of perhaps the, the normative Christian frame. I, I, I imagine that people actually uh, that are coming from divergent perspectives from yours actually find, probably find your approach to be uh, to be somewhat of a relief. Uh, has that been the case as you've interacted, especially with those that might be um, more notorious as being fairly dogmatic, anti-theists or atheists? Have you have you found them to be? Um, surprised by your demeanor I, I i think yeah i think some people definitely do do get surprised um because especially um you know it sometimes doesn't work in your favor that it is effectively being recorded as a christian radio program even though it's listened to by by many more than just christians but but people assume if they're especially if they're coming into the, the station oh it's going to be those christians doing their christian thing and and it's a bit of a i think a welcome surprise when they realize oh actually this is quite a, a balanced, fair-minded approach to this dialogue. I'm not going to be, you know, just given two minutes while the other person has an hour to respond to me or something like that. Uh, and so generally, uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, it, it has meant that I've, you know, made friends with people across the, the divide in that sense. And to be honest, the other thing is that, that I, I try and put, to, to a large degree, I, I try and keep my own perspectives out of the conversations as, yeah, as much as Yeah, I've noticed that. It's, it's obviously... That doesn't happen all the time, and and I will obviously show my cards, you know, uh, on occasion. But most of the time, I'm trying to allow the Christian guest I've got in the studio to represent the Christian side, even if I don't necessarily agree with with that their the, every aspect of their theology. I've mm. I've invited them to bring their perspective, and I'm inviting the other person to bring their perspective, and I'm there mainly simply to moderate keep the conversation going, ask helpful questions and that sort of thing. So um, so to some extent, I, I, I almost don't see my own sort of views necessarily being massively pertinent. Now, you, you'll see a bit more of me bringing my perspective when uh, maybe in the feedback section where I'm responding, you know, reading out emails and feedback that's come in and, and I might give my perspective on something. 
Obviously, I'm doing that with the book I wrote. I'm saying this is where I've landed on certain issues mm. and why I think Christianity makes sense. Uh, and I've also, just in the last couple of years, I've occasionally accepted invitations to actually be the the, the, the debate proponent myself, if you like, rather than the moderator. So I've, I've done a couple of discussions and debates where I have been the one defending Christianity. Uh, and, and in that case, obviously, you, you see my more... Um, you know, you, you see my debate side come out a bit more. Rather do you than enjoy me. those or do you prefer when you get out of those to just go back and be like, hey, you know I, what, I'd, I'd rather just moderate and, and, and I'm interview. I'm definitely <laughs> most comfortable moderating because in a sense, I, you know, if you're putting yourself as the advocate, you have to do a certain amount of preparation. You have to kind of be, feel that you're going to, you know, do your side justice. Uh, and so anytime I'm invited to do a discussion or debate where I'm, I'm the proponent, that that inevitably means that I, I, I feel a certain uh, responsibility in a way that I, is not so much in, in just simply being the moderator. So, um, so but it's something I'm, I've, I'm open to. And um, as, as long as I feel it's the right kind of format and someone that I think I'm reasonably well matched with, you know, I'm not going to go up against Bart Ehrman on biblical reliability <laughs> or something because he, he is a PhD and I am not. But someone who I know... That, that there's probably enough sort of nothing common that, that it would make sense for us to have a dialogue then, then yeah. But by and large, I'm happy to be the one moderating the discussions between people who know far more about it than, than I ever do. Take us back to the early days when you first started the program. Um, you know, I know you, really things probably took off virally for you with that uh, Rob Bell interview, at least here in the States. When you first started the program, what were what were some of those most pressing questions on your mind? Did you come into this as a, a journey for yourself? And then what were, perhaps, if you were to take us back to the beginning, because I, I would imagine maybe some of the questions have stayed the same, but perhaps some of the questions ha- have changed over the years. In, in the early years of the program, what were some of the most pressing questions to you that you wanted to explore? And, and what were the most pressing questions on the minds of your listeners? Mm. Well, I, I, the, the the program kind of was birthed around the time, maybe just a, a year or so before, but around the time that Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, came out. And in some ways, that that was the apex of the new atheism, I would say. Um, the publishing phenomenon was underway where him and people like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris were all publishing these very strongly anti-religion, anti-Christian books. And so um, to some extent, that shaped the program from then on uh, because because that was what was happening in the cultural sphere a lot of the shows and the questions we were responding to were the kinds of issues that, that the new atheists were bringing up and that still happens to an extent today um because you know there's still a strong atheist contingent especially online um nevertheless i would say um having got started in those kinds of issues the conversation has moved on somewhat in the last 10 years um yes, so yeah. you 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 know the, the most recent phenomenon really um, has been the Jordan Peterson one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for those who aren't familiar with him, um, uh, sort of professor of psychology from Canada who kind of became this cult phenomenon uh, through his lectures on the Bible and meaning uh, and then had this massively successful book, 12 Rules for Life. And um, not a professing Christian, but someone who uh, as a sort of secular person has been raising big questions around meaning, purpose, identity, uh, what we do in the absence of religion, and and to see him packing out, you know, major venues uh, with you know young people 
who seem to be looking for answers in a world mm-hmm. that's often very confusing shows that there's a, a huge appetite actually for these kinds of conversations and not simply for the kind of answers that Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens have given. Um, he, he, he's a fascinating person and I've had him on the show once, um, uh, we sort of this just before he kind of really went stratospheric. So I was kind of fortunate in my timing, but, uh, it's for me, that whole stuff that's going on in that sphere, um, is an interesting moving along of the questions because it, it feels like people actually haven't been that satisfied with the kind of the answers of the atheist materialists. Um, they realize that, you know, chucking out religion probably isn't going to solve all our problems and that maybe there's something in these narratives, whether they believe them or not, that people have told themselves for millennia. So I, I think there's a fascinating dialogue for Christians to have now with that new generation of of thinkers who are who are coming along through in that kind of vein of, of Jordan Peterson. And, and I have been doing quite a few shows around that vein in, in the last year or two. Yeah, I've noticed that. And, you know, it's interesting. I actually started my my podcast uh, about a year and a half ago, um, primarily because I, I had been I'd been a teacher for years. I'm a, I'm a pastor by vocation, and uh, so many of the people that I would meet with, I was having a, these sorts of theology and philosophy small group get-togethers, and they were primarily with young men in their college years to their to their mid twenties, and they're they're kind of going through that process of reevaluating their faith. You know, many of the same people that were probably listening to your program by the similar demographic. It's like I I have these questions, right? And I'm I'm it's the journey you went through as an undergraduate in your in your college years of reassessing and reevaluating. Um, some might consider it deconstructing. It, it doesn't have to be that. And uh, one of the top questions I kept getting from just people in, in conversation was, well, I, I stumbled on this guy named Jordan Peterson on YouTube, and I don't know what to make of him because he's talking about God, but in a very different way. And then uh, some friends of mine had actually in, uh, were gracious enough to buy me a ticket. He'd come here to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, in Minnesota here in the United States. And I, I went to a lecture and I was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to I, I, I'm, I'm running out of time to be able to uh, meet face to face with all these these people. Why don't, why don't I just record? And uh, one, I think one of the things I've found interesting in this sort of uh, my journey into this world has corresponded probably with the beginnings of when Unbelievable launched is picking up on the the the, the change in the debate, even the tone of the debate. I think in those those days in which new atheism was really hitting the mainstream, um, you know, the, the, sort of, the, the sort of debates that I remember, you know, you'd picture a guy like William Lane Craig, who I'm very, very thankful for, mm. and his, you know, Kalam's, you know, cosmological argument going up against uh, Dawkins or Dennett, or even, uh, you know, I was profoundly influenced by the work of David Bentley Hart and his response to the new atheist. But it's interesting. It seems like Peterson has brought up, like, you know, hang on, are we sure that we're t- we're talking about the same thing when <laughs> we use the word God? Yeah. And some of his interactions with Sam Harris, I found really interesting. I certainly watched the uh, exchange that he had on on your program. Do you find that to be the case? Are are people perhaps maybe moving away from this sort of, well, is you know, is God real? Is he not real? 
into maybe a reevaluation of what we even mean when we refer to God? Do you see that as a contribution of someone like Jordan Peterson? And I know you've even had recently uh, fruitful exchanges between guys in that sort of domain, like Dave Rubin with John yeah. Lennox. What what are you seeing in this these last couple of years? How are you seeing that conversation uh, about God and faith, theology, I, and philosophy shift? I, I, I'd say I am seeing a lot a lot of people kind of in as I say in that mold of the the Jordan Peterson sort of questioning the um, the the typical uh, sort of atheist perspective and and sort of opening up questions around God and meaning and culture. So you you mentioned Dave Rubin. Um, Brett Weinstein, I had him on my big conversation series um, at the beginning of the last season last year. And again, an interesting kind of biologist, but very different to the mold of the Richard Dawkins style because he's basically advocating that, that well, the reason we've got religion is because of the benefits. You know, it's not this mind virus, as Dawkins likes to say, mm -hmm. but actually there's there's a reason why we live by these narratives and these codes and, and so on. And and uh, and still aiming to, to kind of give it a scientific explanation, but but in that sort of accepting that you know he he, he has this distinction of there being of, of religion being literally false but metaphorically true uh, is the way he puts it. Now, for most Christians, that won't be enough, obviously, uh, right. because I think a lot of the time when you hear Peterson talking about um, Christianity and God. It, to some extent, if you kind of read between the lines, I think a lot of the time what it seems to boil down to is um, we need religion, we need these narratives to, to uh, because and that, in that sense they're useful, they they make they're us complete, existentially profitable to us. Exactly, yeah. but that still doesn't get quite to the point of but are they true? You know, mm -hmm. they're um, and and I think most Christians want to say, well, of course we agree they're useful, but the, the reason they work is because they're true. Um, and and so um, to some extent, I think I think that's the interesting dialogue that's going on between Christians and people like Rubin and others. I had actually just recently, the start of this year, Douglas Murray um, on my show, and he's a, a British sort of intellectual thinker, um, and he he actually moderated two of those debates between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. He's a, a really interesting character, and if you get have a chance to to listen or watch the show. He's engaging with a young Christian blogger called Esther O'Reilly, and it's, yes, I know Esther. Yeah, yeah. Well, it starts off with with talking about Douglas's recent book, The Madness of Crowds. It's his kind of critique of the identity politics stuff. So very similar to some of what Jordan Peterson has been raising concerns around as well. But um, but we write sort of in the second half of the show, we really went into a much more of a discussion on. Douglas's own sort of yearnings for Christianity because he lost his faith in his sort of early 20s, I think. He, he kind of was grown, grew up in a kind of Anglican background. Um, and it, it was just fascinating because he was someone who, who you know, is a self-described Christian atheist. He sees the value of Christianity. He doesn't want to lose it. Um, he just can't quite bring himself to believe it's literally true. Um, and there was just some some really interesting exchanges, especially towards the very end of the show, um, as, as Esther gently kind of asked him to reconsider, um, mm. knowing the value of it, whether actually there could be um, a real substance behind it as well. And I, and I think we're seeing more of that kind of approach actually uh, in 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 many of the people I meet. You know, Dawkins will most often be referenced on my show now by people who say but I'm not a Richard Dawkins style atheist. No, that's, that's the big difference, I think, between now and 10 years ago. So, yeah. so, um, so, so I think, I, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting time. Um, it's, it, as I say, doesn't stop us doing the kind of bread and butter 
does God exist, philosophical, scientific arguments and all that kind of stuff. But but I think there's 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 also some really interesting uh, other types of conversations to be had as well. Where do you think uh, a guy like Tom Holland fits into this conversation? You've had him on the program before. I, I, it's interesting. Maybe I, I suspect part of the renewed interest is, uh, or maybe renewed openness to exploring Christianity once again in the West has been the sort of you know, Nietzsche obviously famously said God is dead, but he had this sort of parable, if you would call it, of the of the madman, right? Mm-hmm. And the madman runs into the town square and he yells, God is dead, God is dead, but the people aren't able to hear it. And Nietzsche's question was, well, w- what's going to happen in the town square when people actually start to believe that, right? And, mm-hmm. and that, that, becomes, um, that becomes a reality. He was I, I think I so obviously have disagreements with Nietzsche, but I so respect him because he was able to 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 say with um, with with clarity, you know, <laughs> this is the contribution of of the Christian story to the Western world. We don't have the value of the individual. We don't have the value of the least of these without that Christian faith. And I, it seems as if perhaps in our, maybe I, you know just my own reflection here. I'm curious to. And I'm throwing this one at you. We didn't talk about this one in advance. Um, but it's curious. I wonder if just this part of this is happening is we're seeing the sort of ethical, moral, we're seeing the sort of erosion of certain, even fundamental, though we may not have been aware of it, fundamental theological values that the West held to, like the value of the individual, perhaps even some of the things that have happened with you know, the Christian story affirming the uniqueness of male and female and the coming together in marital union being this picture of of mm. some rich, rich theological truth about God's heart for his church, et cetera, et cetera. That when people start to see those things collapse, even those that have been uh, against the church, they're starting to go, maybe this isn't going to turn out for the best. And I see someone perhaps like a Tom Holland come on your program uh, as a historian, and I, I don't know what his own personal perspectives are. He, he doesn't come across as someone professing to be, a, you know, an evangelical Christian or a Catholic, and yet he seems to be one just from a historical analysis. Going, hey, hang on here, guys. You know, we need to, <laughs> we need to thoughtfully reconsider our own trajectory and whether or not we really want to be moving away from this Christian story, because here's what it's brought to us. Where do you see a guy like Tom Holland yeah. fitting into this, these new well, conversations you've been having, Justin? Yeah, I, well, I, I see Tom as, as very much part of, of that conversation that I mentioned, um, where, where a lot of people, you know, intellectuals and thinkers are, are reconsidering, actually, the, the kind of almost blind cultural narrative uh, that re- religion's, you know, dead and uh, long live our scientific uh, atheistic future sort of thing. Because Tom Holland, um, very, you know, well-regarded, popular historical writer, um, but he, I think, basically for the last decade, started, about a decade ago, began to realise, as he puts it, that as far as his values are concerned, um, he is not the product of the, the Greeks or the Romans the people that he had, you know, spent so long studying and writing about. He, it came, it brought him up sharply against the fact that so much of what he saw in those cultures, the way they treated people, their respect for human life, equality, dignity, was was completely alien to all of the values he held there. 
And he realized increasingly that where his values came from were intrinsically linked to Christianity, to the Christian revolution. And so that was what led him to write this huge book that came out at the end of last year, um, Dominion. Um, and it really traces the way that the Christian revolution, as he put it, has completely shaped the West. Um, and even to the degree that the fact that you can be an atheist, a secular person today, is directly linked to the Christian revolution because it gave the idea of having that kind of individual sovereignty and so on where you can have those beliefs. Now, that's worked itself out, obviously, in different ways over the years. But, but when he sat down on the Big Conversation series, with me and uh, atheist professor AC Grayling, you know, that that was quite the clash, um, probably yeah. one of the sparkiest debates I've ever moderated, actually, because um, Tom Holland really pressed AC Grayling, both on his kind of historical literacy when it comes to whether Christianity had kind of trashed antiquity. They, they had a good old ding dong on that to start with. <laughs> um, but then also on this whole question of whether AC Grayling's own professed humanist ideals are actually not simply Christianity light. Um, you know, that, that these fundamentally are linked to the, the Christian worldview and what it had to say about men and women being made in the image of God um, and and the way that the Christian church sought to put that into practice in in the way it regarded people. Um, and you can go and watch or listen to that yourself to, to see what you make of that. But um, I think Tom Tom is almost, he, 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 he's almost on a, a one-man mission to kind of set some things straight. He thinks that there's been this ridiculous narrative uh, where suddenly secular atheism and sort of humanism has suddenly been heralded left, right and center as the cure for all society's ills. And, and he just wants to stop people and say, hang on, do you know where this came from? This didn't appear out of a vacuum, these, you know, all the, the rights and values and dignity and equality that you profess. It has roots in the Christian worldview. You simply mm -hmm. can't escape that. And I think he is worried about what happens when you essentially take away the roots. Will the fruits remain for very long when you actually discard the Christian worldview? Now, as to his own metaphysical faith commitments, um, that's something I think Tom himself would say he's, he's on a journey on. Um, he's said to me on another show in the past um, that he... Uh, he well, I think rather like Douglas Murray, he, he, he wonders whether the guttering flame of faith that once existed in his life may yet spark back to life. And mm -hmm. um, my suspicion is that alongside this, you know, intellectual journey he's been on there, there is some, some kind of a spiritual journey going on. I'm sure there is actually. So, so we wait and see what, where that may end up. But, uh, but, as, uh, but it is fascinating to see the way that he is really, I think, wants to set the record straight both, I think, because he just wants to do that as a historian, but also I think because he he does have concerns over where where society goes if we simply you know pretend that 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 it that those aren't the foundations of of the values we hold dear. Um, and to some extent, I think he he can see as other commentators can see the way that once you remove a kind of foundation. Um, all of those those values we say we believe in about human dignity and value, well, suddenly they're not so secure because what are they based on and why shouldn't we redefine what a human is? And, you know, so, so I, I, think, I think, yeah, there's, there's some really, really important uh, issues that are being uncovered by, by people like Holland. 
You've used a couple of words that I find really interesting, and it's even helping me kind of reframe perhaps the two debates that are happening parallel. They're not parallel because they're interdependent and interrelated, but maybe early on the new atheist movement, the Dawkins, the Dennett, the Sam Harris stuff in the mid to late uh, 2000s uh, was primarily about the metaphysics of God, right? Getting to the metaphysics and ontological questions and it seems like perhaps what's been happening for the last few years is as people have said, you know, we need to reject any sort of metaphysical explanation that has has God as being ultimate reality. To now, I think the the question that's being explored by people is perhaps, you know, even Peterson when pressed or Tom Holland when pressed are, are, are maybe uncertain about the the what is ultimate reality. They're they're perhaps not. Um, maybe agnostic in the proper sense of going, well, I, I don't know if I want to make any professions to, to, to claims about things I'm uncertain of. There's maybe others would prefer to call it epistemological humility that, you know, you just, I can't yeah. know this, but now we're moving into the realization that what sits atop the hierarchy of our values functionally serves as God in our lives. And so to that extent, maybe the conversation is really about the the god of our value system right mm. and i guess the from my perspective the, the the christian call is that the the god that is in the metaphysical sense that is the ultimate reality you know if you sat down with a william lang craig and he argued from you know the the, the ontological argument that we would want to have a match between that which actually is ultimate reality and that which sits atop our hierarchy of values. And so I, I see in these conversations you've been having with a Peterson, a Dave Rubin, a, a Tom Holland, is really questions about, well, everyone has a system, a hierarchy mm -hmm. of values that navigates their life, even in, you can see it here, people listening won't, in my office here, I even... My, I've got a whiteboard where I've actually made a hierarchy a pyramid. Of, people are going to think, you know, I'm in the Illuminati or something, but a, a pyramid of values in which I, I'm trying to, I started to do this last year. I wanted to make sure sitting atop the hierarchy of my values was, um, was the God that I actually profess to believe in as a Christian. And I started to name you know, God's character and nature. And from there, I, I've, underneath that is to name the meta story and from the meta story to derive my values, both as a person and to, to understand that meta story in a sense, to see how I fit into all of it. And then to examine my behaviors and practices to see if it's in alignment with that. So it's funny when you hear a guy like Peterson pressed you know, do you believe that God exists? And someone even jokingly asked on Twitter, I'd opened up uh, earlier this week, you, I think you saw it as well, to ask listeners or people on Twitter if they had questions for you. And somebody asked the funny question, well, ask Justin Briley to prove that he exists. <laughs> you know? And I jokingly responded with the, you know, the Jordan Peterson line, well, I live as if <laughs> you know, Justin Briley exists. I live as if God exists. You know, when I examine my behaviors and practices, and I think I see the conversation perhaps being fruitful in that direction, where you you can have someone like a, a Tom Holland who might be uncertain of his metaphysical claims, being mm -hmm. open and honest about his behaviors and practices, reflecting certain values that seem to be yes. only derived from yeah. the Christian story. And and I think you know, it, it, there has been a sort of tendency um in the kind of 
modernist sort of, you know, West to to want to have everything, you know, basically as a logical argument and you want to have your metaphysical beliefs kind of really firmly established. So as firmly as we believe that water is made up of H2O, we believe that God exists in this kind of, you know, metaphysically correct way. And of course, the Bible is frustratingly <laughs> unwilling to kind of cast God in that, those sorts of, you know, as the God, the God, the God of the classical philosophers. And, um, and a lot of, you know, what Jesus says is much more about whether the way you live your life reflects actually a fundamental belief in God than, than sort of just ticking the right doctrinal beliefs on a statement of faith. And, and for me, I see people like Peterson and Holland and others kind of, kind of becoming aware of that and, and almost becoming aware in, in a way with Peterson, especially, I feel like for him, he, he's almost not that bothered at the end of the day, whether no. sort of metaphysically agree with the concept of God. It's, Which can it's be really like, frustrating too, right? Yeah, You're like, yeah. well, what is all this grounded on then, right? You yeah. really want to press and go, but... Yeah. And, um, and I understand that because, you know, because as a psychologist, you will say things like, you know, y you, know you don't understand why you believe things. You know, th th our beliefs are so much more than simply our kind of mental assent to a set of propositions. And, and I believe that too. I, I think it is partly that. But, but our, you know, our beliefs are expressed in all kinds of other ways. And, and uh, I, I know some Christians who, when I see the lives they live, I want to believe in the God they believe in. And, and other Christians, when I see the way they live their lives, I don't want to believe in the mm. God they believe in. Um, and and the problem is, I think, that uh, that we've got to take kind of both sides, if you like, of our personality in that way and understand that belief in God is more than just a kind of mental assent to a set of propositions. Um, it's it's It has to go beyond that faith is about a, a, a trust that is beyond just a kind of intellectual capacity. It's it's something much deeper. And so uh, so I, I kind of, in a way, welcome Jordan Peterson being a little bit opaque on that front and not being willing to be pin, pinned down exactly. Because, you know, frankly, it reminds me of a bit of Jesus. You know, he, he didn't like to give very straight answers to some <laughs> questions. He, he kind of liked to, to make people work a bit. Um, and... Um, I suspect that, but when you read someone like Peterson again, like you read 12 Rules for Life, you'll find that he time and again is referencing the God of, you know, Christianity, the, the, the way in which Jesus kind of models the, that ultimate sense of what it means to, to, to be someone who bears purpose and the logos and everything else, you know, all, the, all those Jordan Peterson type phrases. Right, right. But, but, but he, you know, but trying to nail him down to kind of, are you there? Are, you know, can you sign this doctrine of faith? You know, then no, he's not going to do that. But, but for me, um, I, I, I quite like the fact that he's sort of asking us to, to work a little bit harder in that mm. way. My, my hope, obviously, always is, is that people will ultimately put their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in that sense, I'm, I'm a, I'm an old-fashioned Christian. Mm. I, I, um. The way people get there or, or the, the kind of precise way in which that's formulated or, or found ultimately is going to be very individual for different people. And the way that a Tom Holland maybe comes to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ might be different to the way a William Lane Craig does or, a, you know, or whoever. 
Yeah, I had a friend. I was sitting with a friend last, uh, maybe it was a few weeks ago. Um, Dan Kent. Dan Kent um, co-hosts with Greg Boyd here in Minneapolis. Their their podcast. It's called Renew. They're both obviously pastors here in the in the Twin Cities. And I was talking to him about this idea that we were just discussing a moment ago about God being that which sits atop our hierarchy of values. And this process I've been going through of making sure like my life is in alignment with this sort of meta story, I believe. And he threw this out to me. He said, you know, Paul, you can actually, not everybody can do that or wired to do the sorts of theological and philosophical investigations you feel really wired to. The beautiful thing is that Jesus offers us a way to sort of hack that hierarchy by just following him in the behaviors and practices. And in that way, if we actually were to follow the way of Jesus, he said, you know, we would come to the conclusion that God is this, God's character and nature is like this, and so we can kind of hack it. And it's interesting, you hear that sort of almost like Old Testament um, wisdom literature sort of perspective from a guy like Peterson. It's not just Peterson. There's other people that have been, yeah, yeah. Have been doing this as well. You know, the sort of clean your room as a way to somehow, you know, you start cleaning your room, you're going to eventually uh, aim yourself in the right direction and aim yourself towards God is an, is an interesting proposition. But I actually think there is some something there. You've brought up even just how perhaps the you know that you've you've seen people live a particular way in the world and that way has actually been inviting to you you go oh, boy this person they're the fruits of their life i want that in my own life and i do suspect i often have wondered when i listen to a guy like richard dawkins i've often wondered boy what what christian has hurt you in your past yeah, really and i i don't i'm not a psychologist but i I, there's such a sense of, but yeah, I really wonder if the behavior and practices of Christians in your life that you've seen, or maybe just in your, your surface level reading of history, you can find plenty of examples of Christians behaving far from Christ-like, in fact, in the exact opposite direction, if that has stirred you in such a way that it, it's much more powerful than even any sort yeah. of of metaphysical argument it's just the the existential life of someone that has I, I, not lived in this way yeah i i i'd absolutely agree and i i think that people are making their decisions about god and faith and religion on way more than just sort of you know our, our academic and intellectual arguments there's i think there's all kinds of influences going on all the time for people whether they choose to become atheist christian or something else um, as to what's actually going on there. Um, I, I mean, I, I, and I appreciated what you said about that, your conversation with Dan, who, who I know a little bit as well, and, and Greg Boyd. The, um, the, I think for some people it is important and there, there is this kind of real kind of, um, you know, I think almost a movement among certain people to want to, to get to grips with these big ideas about, you know, the hierarchy of values and God and, and all of that. And you're probably familiar with people like... Um, Paul van der Clay and, and others yeah, who yeah, yeah, I love Paul. Are, are, are kind of, you know, blazing their own trail with with podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff, um, opening up those questions and, and kind of really culturally engaged at those interesting philosophical things. But 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 exactly as Dan said, a lot of people, um, that's not going to be their bag. That's not no. going to be the way they get to there. And, and I think that is exactly why, um, you know, God became flesh in Jesus Christ, because actually having a person, having a story, having 
an example is the way that most people actually um, end up one that that's the most helpful thing for most people to do and it's almost as though sometimes if we go off in a really kind of interesting theological direction we we end up making god very mysterious again you know Mm -hmm. and we lose the god who actually became flesh so that we could comprehend him and so so for me that's that's important and and for me it's always important to 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 not get lost as it were in in the theological reflection but to to see the way that god in, in god's grace has given us and you know himself um in a very tangible way um and for me that to some extent you know that that does again it, it often goes beyond intellectual theological arguments um i think people respond actually in a almost instinctive instinctual way to the person of jesus and what he represents um and and for me that that will continue to always be one of the most powerful aspects of christianity quite apart from our apologetic arguments and everything else um it's it is that way of christ it is that example that was given and as tom holland puts it you know that revolution that was set in place um that wasn't a revolution that that you know was was led by primarily by uh great philosophical arguments though they came later um it was a revolution that was that was based on um something different happening in the world through through this person jesus christ and and that's that's always going to continue to be the case i think beautifully said beautifully said i'm wondering in over your years here justin you've you've sat down with some of the most well-known atheists in the world um and have listened to very provoking conversations have has there ever been a point in your years of doing this where you know whether it was an argument or um, just an interaction with someone who is uh, holding to a very divergent worldview than you, that you've felt a sense of significant doubt or reassessment of your own convictions. Has there been any particular guest that you've had on that's really pushed you and challenged you to significantly reassess your own convictions? And if so, what has brought you back around to continuing to be a professing Christian in the face of such mm. doubts, whether they're intellectual or emotional challenges to your faith? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that that it's funny because it, there are probably many, many times that that's happened, but so, some of them are more significant than others. Some some you kind of come to a way of understanding something reasonably quickly. Others kind of you live with and sort of still struggle with so you know I, I i am still kind of on a path to kind of understanding exactly how i reconcile some of what happens in the old testament regarding you know the way that god is portrayed uh, in in some of his commands uh, around you know uh to the, to the israelites to wipe out the amalekites and that sort of stuff well when you figure that one out if you can let me know <laughs> I'd, I'd really appreciate it <laughs> but and and i've you know been in the privileged position of sitting down and hosting shows with, you know, people like Greg Boyd and Paul Copan and others, you know, who've written amazing works that that think through that stuff. But I'm still at a point where I'm like, okay, um, I've got some ideas, but for me that it, it's still a kind of, a, it's it's a bit of a mystery. I, I'm not sure I've got a fully satisfactory answer at this point. Other people obviously feel they have, but but for me, there are still things going on there that, that don't make it plain sailing. I mean, overall, my what I always come back to in any question of that nature is, is the person of Jesus Christ and and the way in which it's through him that I'm meant to in some way understand 
the character and nature of God um, in even when it's presented in ways that I, I feel personally uncomfortable with or whatever. But so so there are those kinds of questions that that the show inevitably have brought up, which I probably hadn't given that much consideration to before I sat down and started hosting it, where I'm still, you know, still, you know, working on it and putting pieces together. There's other things where what was a kind of, you know, quite significant challenge at that moment to to the way I understood things um, has then been resolved um, just through further study and, 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 and everything else. So one, one example would be when I first had Bart Ehrman on the show mm-hmm. back in ooh, 2009, I think it was, um, it, this was not long after his best-selling book, Misquoting Jesus, had come out. And I, I read the book in preparation for the show. And basically, it's a book which says, look at all these differences in the New Testament documents, all the copying errors, everything that's happened, you know, the way it's been arrived at. And basically kind of ends up making you feel like, can we trust these documents at all? Um, of course, once I did the show and I had Peter J. Williams, who's a you know well-respected Cambridge um, New Testament theologian on it immediately puts the other side to that. And mm. I went on to read some other stuff myself and realized actually, especially I think what's been so helpful for me has been N.T. Wright uh, and uh, his books and the way he has helped me to understand the nature of scripture in a more nuanced way, I'd say. And to realize that actually a lot of the problems in inverted commas that that, that Bart Ehrman has with scripture are frankly quite easy to to reconcile and actually if anything, um, point to the in- incredible science, really, of uh, of uh, the, the way that people have reconstructed the original texts because mm-hmm. of the number of documents and copies and everything we have. And you can paint it in a very half-glass-empty kind of way, <laughs> as Ehrman does in that particular book. But actually, it's very easy to see it in a very half-glass-full way uh, when you realize just how reliable, in the end, actually, these documents are because of the way we can trace their provenance and 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 recover very very close to what the original text would have been. So so there's all that kind of thing and and simply kind of in that process learning not to see the Bible as many Christians kind of tend to have it presented to them growing up uh, as as a, a document that sort of fell from the sky ready written, mm-hmm. but that it is the work of many hands um, and it is both a human and divine thing and um, and that you have to live in that tension and actually it's a really good thing um because it makes the bible much more than simply a a rule book from god uh and it it turns it into a kind of a living document which we engage with through the holy spirit and through you know and and uh and that and it, it's why wouldn't you have kind of a points things that you had to work out and question marks and everything else for me, though, that's been a very positive thing because I feel like I've, I've come out of that process with a much richer, deeper respect for the Bible. I take it much more seriously, in a sense, than I ever have done, even if some of my very literalistic understandings that maybe I began with have had to change in the process. So, so that's that's one example. I felt this. I felt the same way, and that that interesting, you know, the sort of rule book from the sky or the the book full of magic fortunes that you can just sort of grab any one of these verses out of the Bible and you can pluck it out and then you can take that verse standalone in and of itself and you know that 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 sort of as an individual item it can now direct the rest of your life with your life verse and 
you know, I've actually found that the more nuanced, thoughtful, and this is still very within the realm of conservative scholarship, has really is opened up the Bible in a fresh way to me, too. It's much more adventurous to go on this sort of, of, of journey where you don't have this very flat reading, to move away from the maybe more fundamentalist approach, which seems to have you know, removes any sort of human agency as if the human authors were just possessed almost, um, is, is actually, it makes the Bible much more boring. <laughs> I've actually found it as it seems like you have to be, uh, I know a lot of people that, that have grown up in that setting. One of the first things that they go through when they go through this process of deconstruction is they, they just abandon they abandon the scriptures, right? They'll see those sorts of challenges. They'll read a book like from Bart Ehrman and go, yeah, I'm just going to toss the whole thing out. And I, it's so encouraging that you, you're having a guy like an NT Wright on who was instrumental in my own life to just uh, help me see the, the, the wealth of richness that's in the scriptures as we begin to read it and actually read and try to understand the way God is attempting to communicate through these human authors with their own unique perspectives and unique places in history and culture. It's just made the scriptures come alive to me. So it's encouraging to hear that that's the yeah. same that's the same for you. Well, if if you have some some time left, Justin, I've got a couple f- questions perhaps on the fun side. I did throw out yeah, yeah. to people um, you know, that are listeners to this program. And uh, on on Twitter, I, I invited some some questions, and I, I've got some good ones that I, I've you know maybe conglomerated from a few different people. Who's currently, as you look ahead here, start of twenty twenty? Who's currently on your dream list of people you'd love to get together in a room for a conversation? Well, there's still plenty of atheists I'd love to have on the show that I haven't. Um, Sam Harris, who's never been on, and uh, I'd love to find a way of bringing him on. He's got a huge audience himself. And, uh, you know, he's an interesting thinker. He is. Uh, he, he's, uh, and I think he, in a way, has made his own attempt to kind of move beyond the conversation of the new atheism, which he has very much been a part of, into other things. You know, he's, he's really on a, uh, on a quest to kind of bring mindfulness to the masses and that kind of thing at the moment. And I, I just think there's some really interesting conversations on spirituality and atheism and so on uh, and the brain to be had with, with someone like Sam Harris. Um, someone I, I tried to get on last year, didn't quite work out, hoping it might happen this year or maybe for our next season of The Big Conversation is um, Russell Brand. Are you familiar yes, with Russell Brand? Yes, yes. You yeah. He's on my dream list too. What a fascinating <laughs> guy. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's having all kinds of interesting conversations himself with some of the same people I'm having on my show, actually. Um, but he's very much seems to be on a kind of spiritual quest. Uh, he is unhappy, unsatisfied with the the kind of materialist atheist perspective on life, but uh, he's sort of, you know, he, he's, he sort of seems to have quite a lot of new agey kind of leanings. Um, but uh, he seems interested in the story of Christianity as well. And I love having conversations with people who are somewhere in that interesting middle ground. So, so he would, he would be someone I'd, I'd definitely love to have on. Um, that we, I'm hoping to make it happen this year, but um, uh, I, I want to get uh, the former chief rabbi, um, Jonathan Sachs on the program. He's uh, just hmm. an extraordinary individual. Has written some amazing books, um, and uh, his N.T. Wright's one of N.T. Wright's recent books um, on the Apostle Paul was actually endorsed by a Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Wow. And, uh, 
I've 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 been harboring a kind of secret desire to get them together. I think that would be fascinating to hear one of the most, you know, authoritative intellectual voices in Judaism coming together with one of the the preeminent you know theologians in um, New Testament Christianity. Would oh, that'd be beautiful. So uh, so yeah so so um, yeah these are all on my dream list. Some of them are more doable than others. I must admit. So uh, we'll see what happens. So you've mentioned NT right a few times. You have a uh, as part of your unbelievable. Well, I guess this is maybe technically a separate show, but it's it's with maybe under the unbelievable umbrella. You have this wonderful program, Ask NT Right Anything. I love those. Um, you know, there's some people that are curious when uh, you and Tom Wright are not on the air. <laughs> what does Tom Wright love to talk about? <laughs> The thing with Tom is he's he's a very much an extrovert. He he loves being around people. He's very sociable. Um, he 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 just likes chatting. So it will be he'll be telling me about what he was doing before he came to the studio. He'll be telling me about his his house move from Scotland down to Oxford and how everything's in a jumble. He'll be telling me about this wonderful you know um, opera Wagner he went to see the other day and just how much it moved him. He's, he's, he, you know, he's just extremely amiable and chatty and, and, and he'll talk about, you know, interesting people he's bumped into and interesting conversations he's had of, with, with X, Y, or Z. Um, so, so he's one of those people who, who is very much, um, loves to, to just talk and chat. Uh, and you kind of get that in the podcast anyway. He's, he's the kind of person who you can ask a question to and he's off, you know, he's like, you don't have to do much to, to kind of, elicit uh, a really interesting, well-communicated response from Tom Wright. And, and he's like that off, off mic as well, basically. So, um, so I just enjoy those days. Um, I'll, I'll say this, there are other people, brilliant theologians, but who are, um, who, um, are, un, are very much uh, the introvert. And, and that, could, that can be a lot more difficult, actually, to have a kind of open up a conversation in, in, in the kind of easy way it is with Tom. So I think that's why the, the podcast has worked so well with Tom is because he's a conversationalist and podcasts work best like we're having when you have a conversation. Mm. I really appreciated the most recent one. I think it was the most recent one you've had with him on, um, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit and charismatic phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Having grown up in a charismatic background, um, I, it's... It, uh, and yet uh, f finding that not many people, at least in that time when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s in, in the charismatic domain were particularly inclined to theology or philosophy. It's always interesting when I when you hear someone as respected as, as N.T. Wright talk about things like tongues, because mm -hmm. I guess I, I kind of developed a, uh, you know, inferiority complex as someone that was a charismatic going, you know, well, those sorts of experiences no one in academia wants to talk about. But I, it's interesting that, that there is there are people that have an openness to those sorts of more yeah, yeah. charismatic phenomenon. So that's that was an interesting one to listen to. One final question uh, for you, Justin, if you don't mind, is, uh, you know, you've had so many interactions with people that are outside of the Christian perspective. I think that probably is more frequent in the UK. Maybe it's just even the way the cities are structured. People walk more. They are here in the US. Everything is so spread out. And so it's very easy to get into sort of suburban bubbles of Christianity and people can go much of their lives with very little interaction with people who have a wildly divergent viewpoint as them. In your experience, what 
What do people who have been fairly hostile towards Christianity find most compelling about it? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I think in general, what what I will find is actually there's always a grudging respect, at least, for the kind of community that churches in particular can provide. In, in an age where I think people are recognizing increasingly the need for us to uh, to have more face-to-face contact and genuine community, you know, because the loneliness epidemic among older people, the fact that, um, you know, the younger generations are increasingly sort of just getting in touch via digital and everything. I think I think often among those who, my friends who are skeptical, will nevertheless acknowledge the value of a community that church provides. And, and when it's modeled well, I think... Um, it can be one of the most attractive things about Christianity is is being part of a, a loving, supportive church community. Obviously, when it's not modelled well, it can be one of the most uh, things that that turn people off most of all. But but um, that that I'd say is is something, and you even see that, funnily enough, in in a kind of secular expressions of it. I've done a couple of shows over the years now, sort of looking at the phenomenon of. Um, the Sunday assembly here in the UK, which mm. is a thing in the US, where it's just basically a non-Christian version of church where people get together, sing songs, have an inspirational message and get to meet other people. But it just doesn't have any of the supernatural stuff involved. And I think what that says is people are still looking for community, whatever, whether or not um, that, you know it's a Christian one. But so I think I think that's something that, that, that is actually attractive still to people. And, and I think as well, again, um, even if they disagree, a, a lot of the non-Christians that I speak to acknowledge that if that, that Christianity can make a difference in people's lives in terms of the the kind of hope, ultimate hope that it it offers, and that can actually um, that can actually be an important spark for both people's kind of you know state of mind, their mental health, and everything else in the now, but also actually for the way they live their life, um, and that that actually a lot of a lot of people i think don't necessarily like it's a kind of a bitter pill to swallow if you are an atheist that that um you know at the bottom of all of this there's there's no overarching story there's no ultimate deep nihilistic yeah feelings yeah Yeah. and and a lot of atheists will you know will say oh well you know i'd rather you know live in you know the present and uh and without any you know need for a reward in the future but I, I also meet a lot who for whom that is a is something that i i think deep down they um they regret that that there's a sort of um that christianity holds out something um that mm-hmm. kind of gives gives an ultimate meaning gives an ultimate purpose even for people who don't feel like their lives really mattered or made any difference in the here and now so um so for me that's that's maybe something that again begrudgingly some some of my atheist friends will will say actually there's something that that I can see why Christians would be attracted to that you know mm. Well, Justin, I want to thank you for your time this morning. You've been gracious in giving it. I know you've got other interviews to do today, and I'm so thankful that I was able to get some of your time. I hope we'd be able to have further conversations in the future. I'd love uh, for you to share. Uh, with people, maybe some of the other ways they can get connected with your work. You have a book that you put out last year. I know you're doing, now you've been moving into, maybe you've been doing this for years, but I've just noticed in the last couple of years, you've been doing unbelievable conferences. What are some of the ways that that people can get connected with the work that you're doing? Great. Well, um, if you just search 
you know, uh, on Google, unbelievable, Justin Briley, you should, you should find it. Um, you should find, you know, links to various things. But yeah, there's um, the podcast, uh, the unbelievable podcast, uh, which you can get wherever you get your podcast from. Um, you can find all of the resources and everything available from our, our webpage. Uh, it's a bit of a long address, but I'll give it to you. PremierChristianRadio.com forward slash unbelievable. Um, we are working on getting a kind of uh, a, a website of our own outside of the radio station websites <laughs> so that we have an easier address. Um, conferences and stuff, yeah. Our next one is um, coming in London in May uh, with N.T. Wright, as it happens, and Tom Holland, who we've also mentioned. Oh, um, but uh, that's um, you can find that at unbelievable.live. So if you're in um, the UK, do come along. We'll also be um, giving ways for it to be live streamed um, in, in in a month or so. So, uh, so if you're in the States, um, you, you'll be able to attend uh, virtually as well. Um, and uh, yeah, the book, uh, the book is called Unbelievable, question mark, why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. And yeah, you can find that wherever you, you uh, buy your books from. And it gives you sort of a bit of background to the show and, uh, and my case for Christianity, really. But um, the, the, big, the big thing that I've been working on, you know, the last couple of years as well is, is this big conversation series. So um, it's kind of a special video debate series. It's very much in the unbelievable format, but we've had the ability to bring on some of the biggest names, um, discussing some of the biggest questions, uh, shoot them to a high quality, put on a couple of events as well, live events to do with it. Uh, and so you can find all of the resources for that at thebigconversation.show. I'm going to make sure for those that are listening right now, obviously you're listening right now, I don't even say that. <laughs> the links, uh, links to all those things I'll provide in the description to this podcast. So if you weren't, if you're driving right now, you please don't write them down as you're driving. Um, I will be afforded in the links, the, um, the description to this podcast. So you can find all of those links and get connected. And I, you know, maybe some of you are just for listening to this program that are just listeners of mine and you haven't been familiar with the stuff that Justin has been doing. I, I can't I can't speak highly enough about it. If you're interested in the sorts of conversations I've been having in the series that we're doing in this sort of this this sort of domain, uh, Justin's work is going to be right up your alley. And so please, I highly commend you checking out all of these things um you know i would love if the next time he comes to the states hopefully it's maybe we can get something in the midwest at some point yeah. to do some sort of uh nice. stuff for us here stuck uh on not on the coast um but i highly commend it please check out his stuff pick up his book thank you again justin for your time thank you paul it's been an absolute pleasure to be with you Thanks for listening to today's episode of Deep Talks, exploring theology and meaning-making. If you're new to the program, welcome. I hope you find other conversations and previous episodes helpful to you. Not only do I sit down with theologians, philosophers, thinkers, psychologists, and generally interesting people, we also take time in this program to unpack important ideas in the world of theology, philosophy, psychology, and what we like to call around here meaning-making. So if you're interested in the ways that theology is interrelated and connected to everything from the arts and entertainment to science and philosophy, well, I think you'll find uh, previous episodes that, that might be helpful to you. So check those out. Right now we're in the middle of a series on the problem of evil in which we're going through essentially all of church history to see how theologians of the past have attempted to give an answer to the problem of evil and human suffering. 
This podcast is supported by the generous contributors involved in the Deep Talks Patreon community. People like Luke H. and Paul R. and many others who are giving and contributing to help me continue to do this work. So if you find conversations like these or the lecture series that I've been doing helpful, I invite you to become a Patreon member. You'll find a link in the description of this podcast. And for those that are involved in the Deep Talks Patreon community, I try to offer bonus episodes and additional content just as an extra thank you for those that want to do an even deeper dive into the world of theology, philosophy, meaning making. So I hope that you'd find that it is worth your investment, that the value that this podcast provides is worth the contribution that you can afford to give. So thank you to those of you that have been supporting this work and for those of you that are considering doing it. Another way that you could support this podcast is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the number one place people are going to discover and find new podcasts. And so your reviews help people figure out if this is something worth giving their time to or not in the vast sea of podcasts that are out there. So thank you to those of you that have left a review. If you haven't, I invite you to do so. You don't have to butter me up or anything like that. But uh, it it serves the purpose of helping other people discover and find this. So if you think it's worth it, uh, feel free to leave a review or to share the podcast with someone else. As always, I welcome your questions, even your objections to things brought up in this podcast or any other. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Paul Anleitner. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how this is helpful, maybe even ways you might have disagreements. That's totally fine. We love to have nuanced, thoughtful conversation together about these things. So thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll talk again soon.